This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Every year, the Journal of Ecology announces the Harper Prize for the best paper in the journal. This year, Simon Doxford was elected, selected for his paper along with Rob Freckleton, titled Changes in Large-Scale Distribution of Plants, Extinction, Colonization, and the Effects of Climate. I recently caught up with Simon to ask him about the research. Um, my name is Simon Doxford. Um, I recently completed PhD at the University of Sheffield, which was supervised by Rob Freckleton. And um, my research during that focused on plant populations and their responses to change in the environment. What problem in ecology was your study trying to solve or, or uh, what motivated your study? Um, well, this study really relates to the problem of trying to predict future patterns of um, invasions and extinctions of species and changes in species composition as these are driven by climate and habitat change. And our work really contributes to this by looking at a long-term data set of plant species distributions in the UK and um, identifying common patterns in distribution changes that have already occurred and what these patterns indicate about the population processes at work and the roles of climate and habitat drivers in this. So can you, can you briefly describe the approach that you took to answering, uh, answering your, your question and, and, and what data was used? Yep. Um, the data we used was taken from um, historical records of plant species distributions, which have been collected in the UK for getting on for hundreds of years by um, organizations like the Botanical Society of the British Isles. And this data set provides presence and absence data um, at the scale of 10 kilometer squares on the distributions of thousands of plant species. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we focused on almost 2,000 of the most common of these and used data from two time periods, which were separated by about 50 years. And then we formulated um, three theoretical models through which distribution change could potentially occur and translated these ideas into statistical models and then compared how well these models fitted for each of the species that we studied. So can you describe the the three models that you used? Sure. Um, the models, I guess, were, were really based on what we could get from our data and also um, potential um, potentially varying ways in which distributions could, for example, colonize new um, areas. So one of these was a random colonization model, which was completely spatially random and would um, colonization would occur in no relation to the existing distribution and any possible point in our study site, which was made up of um, thousands of these 10 kilometer squares. Hmm. Second model was um, we termed a localized phalanx. And this model predicted distribution change only at the immediate periphery of an established distribution. Mm. The third model was called the phalanx spread model. Um, and this was typified by um, a kind of diffusion-like spread across larger areas. So similarly spatially restricted. In brief, could you describe your, your main findings, your sort of take-home messages? Um, generally, um, we found that spatial distribution change was 
or that rather the distribution change was spatially restricted in most species, although there was quite a degree of variability in this. And we found support for some support for each of the theoretical models in at least some of the species. Mm -hmm. um, but the phalanx spread um, model we created, um, we devised, I suppose is a better word, um, came out as being the best fitting model for the majority of these species. Mm -hmm. And so this really means that new habitat is only colonized if it's adjacent to the existing distribution. Mm -hmm. And this suggests that the colonization and extinction of sites is related to the um, established distribution and local population growth allows expansion or buffers um, against extinction, whereas um, an, um, extinctions tended to occur tended to occur in isolated sites right. in the distribution. Right. So it seems like population growth and um, decline are sort of the more important than um, dispersal. Um, th th those there were two aspects we we dealt with really. Um, so we found that um, colonization and extinction rates were generally quite low, but again very variable, um, mm -hmm. suggesting that in, over this time period, which was relatively large, about 50 years or so, um, the distributions weren't necessarily changing all that much, but the changes that were occurring were related to um, the the structure of the established distribution. So in terms of colonization at, at edges and extinction from isolated patches. Mm -hmm. So so why was the phalanx spread one the best, do you think? Um, I suppose it was, we found it to be um, the best fitting model in the majority of species, although, as I mentioned there, there was support for the other models mm -hmm. in a, a minority of species. So. This model was probably found to be um, the better fitting as it allowed us to capture more of the distribution change that was occurring. Mm. We actually looked at um, changes at the T plus one time point of the model and it, that allowed us to say if this site is going to be colonized or, or rather if you, are, if you are a site in the distribution and the sites around you are going to be colonized are you more likely to be colonized yourself? Right. And so it allowed us to capture more of the more of what was going on in the data, I guess. Do any of the models, the three models, incorporate? Um, I mean, so how does dispersal happen? Is it just a statistical, you know, sampling from a statistical distribution, or or is it incorporate some sort of biological? You know, some plants are dispersed by wind, some are dispersed by birds, and stuff like that. Um, in in this case, we we didn't um, put in any sort of life history trait data. Right. We simply had the distribution of a species at the first time point and its distribution at the second. Okay. And then within that, we looked at each individual site to try and assess um, if a site was more likely to become colonized or go extinct mm -hmm. um, according to the presence or absence of that species in the surrounding sites. Right. And then that was that that changed according to it being a random um a random colonization method with no spatial kind of element or this very restricted localized one or the phalanx spread model using the 
um, using kind of autoregressive term in the model taken from the response variable almost. Right. So, so how general do you think your uh, results are? Do you do you think um, they're specific to you know the the, the the region that you studied, or, or do you think that they're more generalizable, and do you think they, they're generalizable to, to animals or just plants? Um, there's, there's been a lot of work um, on kind of trying to generalize large-scale population dynamics, and it's been found in the past that plants and animals are quite different um, in this respect. Plants are obviously immobile, they have very long-lived or can have very long-lived individuals, um, they have seed banks and these things which animals tend not to have, so they, they tend to behave quite differently. Mm -hmm. In this particular study system, um, which is Britain or the UK, um, there's some quite specific historical land use change um, factors which which come into to our results, I think. So obviously you've got huge human influence on the landscape. So how well you would be able to take the conclusions from this study and apply them to a different landscape, I'm not sure. I suspect you'd need that specific information about the the land use, the habitat, the climate sort of drivers that are, that are important in that case. So what do you think uh, are the consequences uh, for the fields for this paper? You know, what, what are people going to, you know, go and do after they, after they read your paper? Sure. Um, well, this paper really relates, I guess, to um, predictive species distribution modeling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what the work that's been done previously is to um, treat communities, types of vegetation as quite fixed units and assume that they're going to snap to a new position according to a new set of environmental variables. And I think what this paper shows is that there's actually quite a degree of variability and, and spe species specificity going on um, in these distribution changes. But it also shows that using this relatively simple historical data, you're actually able to identify some quite important, um, relatively consistent spatial patterns in these changes, which are dictated by, as I've mentioned, kind of habitat, possibly habitat factors. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that's... Um, Hopefully these results will, um, well, hopefully these results could be built into this, these efforts to um, predictively model species distributions mm -hmm. and just improve their accuracy. What are the more, um, you know, practical implications for um, people doing um, plant conservation? I guess is is it what you just said? You know, being able to predict better um, future distributions. Um, I think that, well, coming specifically from this study, we we kind of identify that um, these distributions may be limited by the availability of suitable habitat, mm. um, and they may be unable, it seems, to make these long-distance colonizations to try and, if you like, find 
new, better habitat if their existing habitat becomes unsuitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one possible approach, I think, to improving plant conservation um, in light of this might be to establish something like stepping stone sites or corridors, which might facilitate this colonization and allow these plant species to respond and to climate change, mm-hmm. respond in a way other than by going extinct. So what do you think was the most challenging part of the study? Um, in this case, it was, I think it was, that was in the data that we used. So we had this data set which um, obviously wasn't created for our purposes, and so we had to adapt our ideas to its limitations. And it's, it's quite well known that um, there are a lot of potential pitfalls in using this type of large-scale um, kind of historical atlas data. And so we had to kind of conquer a variety of challenges, um, including... Um, accounting for the fact that there was varying and unknown levels of recorder effort at different times <laughs> yeah. during the data collection. Um, the usual problems with dealing with spatial data, spatial autocorrelation, trying to come up with a sensible subset of species out of thousands in the British Isles, many of which are invasives and aliens or um, kind of quite transient. And so it was, it was really just condensing down that data to get a, a solid set to work on, I think. Mm-hmm. Was it was it a matter of, did you have to contact individual researchers to, to get more details? Was that a pretty laborious process, or was it just using the data itself to... to, it, to... Was, it was it was using mostly using the data and okay. kind of picking up where previous previous research using this data had left off and and building on from from there and learning from the methods used by previous you know previous authors i have been speaking with simon doxford the journal of ecology podcast i'm scott chamber